this evening we're going to continue looking at the vision statement. Um, this is going to take us four weeks. So just to refresh your memory, here it is. By the magic and wonder of technology, I believe that it will come up here. And it just says this. We believe God has called us to establish an extravagantly welcoming, authentic community that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and rooted in the Bible to see Cornwall come alive through the hope and freedom that Jesus brings. So if you were here last week, thank you for coming back. Um, So we looked at what it would be like to be an extravagantly welcoming community, a community that welcomed with peace and was more concerned by welcome than it was with order. And we looked at the incredible story that Jesus told about the prodigal son, where a son squanders his wealth, squanders his inheritance, and ends up returning to the father after hitting the lowest of lows. But we looked at that verse, it just says, while he was a long way off, the father saw him and ran to him and wrapped his arms around him and reinstates him to the family. And we talked about this concept of grace, how he didn't deserve that kind of welcome and he didn't deserve that favor. He didn't deserve to be welcomed back into the family, but he was. And that how um, it was nothing he could do to deserve it. He didn't, but it was because of what Jesus has done and that concept of the cross and the grace and the righteousness we have in Jesus becomes our righteousness in this amazing exchange. Um And this evening, we're going to be looking at how we can be and how we aspire to be a community that is authentic. What does it look like to be an authentic community? So if you've got a Bible, if you haven't got a Bible, there's ones on the info desk. Feel free to grab one. Or if you've got a phone, get it out now. Flick, swipe to Luke chapter 7. And we are going to be looking at another story about Jesus, funnily enough. And in Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. But before we launch in, I'm just going to pray. So, Lord God, we thank you that we've got this time together. We thank you that we've got the Bible. We thank you that it, that it demonstrates your your love for us, um, that it it is a love story about how you are just running out for us and running after us um, and have done everything possible to bring us into a relationship with you. And, Lord, as we like look at this passage tonight and hear the words, we just pray that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So... Verse 36, Luke chapter 7 says this, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, and the Pharisees were kind of the super religious guys in the community at that time. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman that lived in the town who, was sin- who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man was a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, of something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Verse 43, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned towards the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. 
And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that forgives sins? And Jesus said, turned to the woman, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I love this story. And in the same way that we probably could have done a whole term on the prodigal son, we could probably do a whole term on a ho- or a whole series of talks on this, just this one story alone. It's so incredible. So Jesus has been invited over to the, one of the religious leaders' house, houses, and he went and reclined at the table. It wouldn't have been sit-down like meals like we have. It would have been more slouchy on the floor at a low table. And this sinful woman, it says, probably a prostitute, because everyone, it sounded like everyone knew what she did and what she was like, came in uninvited and cried so much she wet his feet with her tears. And then seeing what she'd done, she used her hair to wipe them. And then not stopping there, she kissed his feet and poured perfume on them. And you're thinking, can you imagine that scene? Can you imagine it now? how scandalous it would be if that happened and what this would have said to this um, Pharisee that was there as well and the Pharisee was there was like basically you don't need to be a prophet to know that this woman is not good news like everyone knows her everyone knows who she she, Jesus shouldn't be letting her touch him this is really inappropriate and not only she's touching him she's kissing his feet and you're kind of like oh Oh, just imagine it. And the first thing I want to suggest to us is that we need to be a community where you can come if you're searching for Jesus. Like, you can just come and search for Jesus and just be accepted no matter what. We kind of talked about that extravagant welcome last week. No matter what your background is or whether you feel like you're a complete mess. And we what we find in this story is the magnetism or the attraction of Jesus. When you start talking about Jesus, people people's ears prick up they want to know more about him like they've heard little bits and little snippets and it's just that kind of story about who jesus is why was he so um, attractive to this lady not in a weird way but just in a kind of like i've got to spend time with him i want to worship at his feet the woman wanted to be near him and worship him even though she knew that her life was kind of completely at odds with all Jesus' teaching at the time and the church has to be a place where you can come if you are feeling rubbish if you have had one of those days where you're like i do not want to go out tonight i don't want to even get out of my pajamas i want to because it's that bad you've got home and you put your pajamas on and if anyone else does that but just me okay good so but you know what i mean where you're like oh i just don't want to come but actually this place should be a place where you could just come and say actually do you know what i've had a shocker i have had a shocker can we just pray? Let's skip the sermon, skip the worship, let's straight to prayer because I'm in bits and pieces. So, and we, oh, this is why I don't like using iPads. Skip down. The church, there's nothing worse than a group of people where everyone pretends they're fine all the time. I don't know if you find that, like coming through the door, like, how you doing? Yeah, fine, thanks. A little bit tired. Like standard answer, any parent. A little bit tired, not sleeping. Record it next week. Just play. Yeah, but fine. A little bit tired, and uh, you're like, "Well, that's that's weird. That's nothing going on at all." Um, It's as if you can sometimes come into a community, not just a church, but any community, and put a mask on and be like, "I'm fine. Just a bit tired." And uh, and there's nothing worse than that. Nothing worse where everyone pretends to be fine all the time. Even that word, isn't it? I'm fine. I'm nice. Like I'm okay. It's like, oh, really? We live our lives, I don't know if you read the Bible, it talks about living our lives on a battlefield. It talks about us being in a struggle. It talks about us being in a race. It talks about something being hard. It talks about this life being not just all like sweet smelling roses and stuff. 
It's not like you start following Jesus and then everything suddenly, all your troubles disappear. It's not easy. The phrases that use the Bible is, we are at war. Why would you put on spiritual armor if you're not in a war? And in any war, there are injuries and there are casualties. And people aren't healed all the time. We sometimes see breakthrough. We sometimes don't. Bad stuff happens to all of us. But I love the concept that whatever is going on in our life, we can still come here, feel accepted, worship, and then minister to each other and pray. John Wimber, who is the guy that started the Vineyard Movement back in the 80s, had this phrase. And he came up with it before there was a Nirvana song with the same name. He said, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. And we want the ch- this church to be a hospital where you can come and feel healed and be healed. Where you, if you're injured, you can have time to recover. But the phrase just doesn't stop at that. It says, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Jesus in the story says to the woman, your sins are forgiven, go in peace. And what we talked about last week, isn't it? Grace doesn't leave us where we are. Grace has the power to turn our lives around. There was another encounter that Jesus had with a woman caught in the very act of adultery. So that the crowd brought the woman before Jesus and they were going to stone her. They had the stones ready. And Jesus famously says, whoever's without sin can cast the first stone. And the story, if you read it um, in John chapter 8, just says, the elder, starting with the oldest, they dropped their stones and went away. It's almost as if the oldest ones know the story of their lives and know they are they can't throw a stone and then in the end all, all the men leave and jesus is left with this woman it just carries on john chapter 8 and verse 10 jesus straightened up and you can imagine and if you've seen films about it where he's just doodling in the sand or drawing a line maybe and he stands up and he looks at her and he says woman where are they has no one condemned you no one sir she says then neither do i condemn you jesus declared go now and leave your life of sin Go and leave your life of sin. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Go now, leave your life of sin. The church should absolutely be a place of welcome and acceptance, but it should be a place of change. It should be a place that accepts change and growth. It's kind of This talk is kind of in tension with last week's of absolute extravagant welcome, but discipleship, but change, but moving forward. It's why we pray for each other at the end of the service. Because change happens when we invite God into our lives. Because he changes us and he changes our situations. This community needs to be a place where we can be vulnerable. We can confide with each other, confess to each other, receive encouragement and forgiveness. But it's not only why we pray for each other. Authenticity isn't just about us um, doing a really good job um, of looking after each other in here. Authenticity means that we are who we are in here is the same as who we are out there. It's the same us that walks out on a Friday morning. So, little story to tell you. Um, I had daddy daycare duties. Uh, it's half term for those of you. This is not in the school calendar mode. Um, Tuesday and Wednesday. So, um, I had all three of our kids. Ruth, in her infinite wisdom, decided on Monday to start potty training our youngest one knowing full well that for the next two days I was going to have to have her a potty, many spare pairs of pants, wipes and everything else in tow. So I thought of what any dad dad does with a granny nearby that says, I need to go to granny's because I need help in this situation. (laughs) Mum, and thankfully Auntie Rachel came along as well. (laughs) Oh, Um, But the time came where the kids had reached the end and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to take them home and work out how to do dinner. Um, 
and then brace myself for bedtime. And I managed, which is no easy feat, to get all three of them out of the house with obviously the help of two other adults. Um, anyone that's tried herding cats is a very similar thing. Um, and so we managed to get out of the house, which is one thing. I managed to get all three of them in the car, which, and again, this is another stage where you're like, oh, thank God, did it. They're in the car. I didn't quite get as far as putting their seatbelts on. But that wasn't a big deal. They were all in the car and they child locked so they couldn't get out. So, um, and then this one of my mum's um, elderly neighbours came and chatted to me. He was just come back from lunch with some of his buddies. Um, no, I hadn't seen him for a while. We just explained, we just planted a church. We're moving back to the area and blah, blah, blah. And he introduced me to his brother, who was 93. And I thought, oh, that's lovely. Um, how are you doing? Did you have a nice lunch? Yes, yes, yes. And then suddenly this guy goes white as a sheet, has to sit down on the wall and uh, he kind of doesn't pass out, but he's he's in all sorts of trouble. And my <laughs> my neighbour just says, "I'll go and get a glass of water. You're in charge." I was like, "Oh bum!" <laughs> like, literally, what on earth do I do? Like this guy was he was quite old, and he didn't look very well at all. And I was like, "I've got three kids in the car." Um, do I call 999? Do I get him on the floor and put him in the recovery position? Um, do I start mouth to mouth? I'm like... <laughs> and the more medically minded, and actually anyone will know that I literally had no idea what to do. Like, no, absolutely no idea. Ruth says, oh, there's an app you can get. It just tells you what to do. I was like, well, that's good now. <laughs> I didn't have it at the time. So I kept talking to him and trying to work out, is this, like, he was still conscious. Is this something that's happened before? Are you feeling all right? No, I'm not feeling all right. Well, you really don't look very well either. Uh, ooh, looking around, you know, coming to help? No, good. Glass of water, that's going to fix everything. So, um, and, I, and I'm not saying this story to big myself up at all, but I had no idea what to do. So I just thought, well, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to pray for him. And I just prayed, Lord, God, please heal this dude. Like, just don't know what to do. Like, and it was as if, like, health and life came back into him. He came round and he was fine. And I tell you that story literally not to blow my own trumpet. I, I've told the story before about when my daughter broke her leg and I got rushed over to pick her up. And I did not even cross my mind until that evening. Oh, I should have prayed for her. I was like, oh, of course I should have prayed for her. I'm a flipping Christian. Why don't I? I didn't. So this was a win. This is why I'm telling you. But authentic, why am I telling you this story? Authentic faith spills out of the building. The natural and the supernatural mix, don't they? And we say, do you know what? I've, we do this in church, we pray for each other, but it's not for these walls. This is for everywhere, it's for everyone. Have you noticed that Jesus didn't have set ministry times? He didn't do ministry. It wasn't like Jesus was like, oh, do you know what? Nine to five, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and then I'm off duty, I'm going to go out and chill with the lads. He was like, he wasn't a... <laughs> written that down it's quite funny he wasn't a professional messiah he wasn't like do you know what guys yeah he didn't have his facebook page with his opening hours an automated message when he was relaxing with his lads he loved to to meet with people wherever he was and he always ended up praying with people he always ended up speaking into people's lives and i love the way there's a, a verse in um second corinthians 5 that just describes jesus ministry and it, and it describes our ministry as well. So um, 2 Corinthians f um, chapter 5 and verse 17 just says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, 
He did this, but he's given us the same ministry of reconciliation, that God has re- was reconciling the world to himself, himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he was committed, has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore ambassadors. Um, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And you know what an ambassador does, don't you? He represents the king or the queen or the president or the parliament, the government to another country, and that's what we are. Jesus wasn't just an ambassador because he didn't just represent God. He atoned for our sins. He took everything on himself. He took our place. He stood in the gap between us and God, and he reconciles everyone who believes in him. So Jesus was this representative of God, and we are representatives of Jesus to the world and to our communities, to the people around us. We are the ambassadors of Jesus. And it's why we worship, too. I love this quote from N.T. Wright that just says um, this in simply a really good book called Simply Christian. It says, you become like what you worship. When you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object you worship. You begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. And our aim and our vision is to make disciples. And disciples aim to look more and more like Jesus. They exhibit the fruits of the Spirit, you know, the distinctives of the Holy Spirit working in us. Um, Joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if you were to say you're a follower of Jesus here tonight, um, and you thought back maybe to this time last year, so the end of the May um, 2017, and compared yourself, like this year you, last year you, how would you be? Like, would you? how would you compare? Would you say this year, if you look back and think, actually, do you know what? This year I am exhibiting more of the fruits of the Spirit than I did last year. In my decision-making, in my relationships, I am more Christ-like than I was at this time last year. It's an interesting thing, isn't it, to step back sometimes and go, have I grown? Have I further along this walk? Because sometimes you can ask people, like, oh, how long have you been following Jesus? Or how long have you been a Christian? They said, oh, you know, five years, 10 years, 30 years, 50 years. And you say, but have you been living the same year over and over again? A bit of a groundhog day of like, I'm just going through the motions. I've been to church on a Sunday and blah, 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 and done this and nothing else. Uh, But are you taking more risks with, with your faith? Are you stepping out? Are you seeing more joy in your life? more um, peace, more gentleness, more patience, more self-control. And these fruits of the Spirit grow through walking by the Spirit. That's what it says at the beginning of that Galatians 5 passage where he talks about the fruits of the Spirit. And that's what we'll look at a bit more next week. And I know in my life I am a nicer person to be around when I've been seeking God, when I've been spending time in the Word, inviting the Holy Spirit to fill me and be in my life and influence my decision-making and my actions. And it takes a work of God, doesn't it, to do this stuff. It takes a work of God to be able to love your enemies, to to go deeper in patience, to love, to be joyful. All of these things take a special move of God, his empowering, his Holy Spirit in our life. They take us beyond our natural capacity to do any of these things.
So, a bit of a challenge. Like, how are we going to press into this as a community to, on one hand, extravagantly welcome, but also be vulnerable with each other enough to say, do you know what? I'd love to pray for this area of your life. It just seems like you're, you've you said this a couple of times. How can we see some breakthrough in that area? Like, what does it mean for you to see reconciliation in that relationship? What does it mean for you to forgive that person? Um, so that's kind of what we're talking about. And then we're not just in this community, but what does it look like for us to take that outside and say, actually, do you know what? We've uh, the God, if when you're out uh, with your mates or neighbors or school mums, uh, God really would really love to heal you. Like, I'm just going to take a step out and say, like, can we just pray about that? It sounds weird, but I'm a Christian and God does crazy stuff when we pray. So you'd be amazed how many people go, actually, that's okay. You think they'll say no, but actually they generally say yes and say, do you know what? And actually they haven't really got another option. So you're like, what's the worst that can happen? Nothing happens. You're back where you are, but generally God breaks in and steps in. So let's stand.